Thank you, and thank you for whoever made those hot dogs. They were, I'm a hot dog fan, and those were good ones. This morning, I can't believe that so many of you came back after this morning, but this morning, I mentioned our mission priority to promote vocations in general and priesthood in particular. You may know um, that we have three other mission priorities in our archdiocese. To strengthen programs for the ongoing formation or an education in our Catholic faith, including Catholic schools. To enhance the experience of the Sunday Assembly for Holy Mass. And three, to teach stewardship as a way of life. This last one, to teach stewardship as a way of life, is related to the spiritual fruit produced by adoration of the Holy Eucharist. Namely, to increase our desire to imitate Jesus in giving the gift of self. And to give the gift of self by embracing one's state in life, to give the gift of self by our full, conscious, and active participation in Holy Mass, to give the gift of self in our service to our neighbor in need, that's where stewardship comes in, in that last expression of the gift of self. To respond in service. Just to be clear, stewardship is not a, not a program. You know, uh, there's all kinds of programs. Uh, Christian Experience Weekend, that's a pretty familiar one, or Marriage Encounter, something like that. Those are programs. And sometimes you might be attracted to Christian Experience Weekend and you might not, which is fine. You know, there's something for everyone. You can choose to participate or not. But not stewardship. Stewardship's not a program. Stewardship is a way of life. Stewardship is a way of life for all those who have chosen to be followers of Jesus. This is a, is a consequence of being a disciple. I think that it's a consequence of being alive. And hopefully the, the truth of that, not just because I say it, but I say it because it is true, uh, I think the truth of that may become clear as I go on. Stewardship is a way of life that first of all says who we are. We are stewards. That's why they call it stewardship. We are managers. We are caretakers. We are administrators of all that we are, of all that we can do, of all that we have without exception. 
<coughs> including things like our time and our treasure. We don't own anything. You read your Bible, and you read it according to the mind of the church, we don't own anything. All, including who we are and what we can do and what we have, is on loan from God, entrusted to us by God to care for and to use according to God's holy purpose. So, as you might imagine, stewardship then is a way of life that also says not only who we are, but what we do. And what we do, first of all, is to give thanks that you, God, would entrust me to care for something so precious to you. Me. <laughs> to give thanks to God that we have been entrusted to be caretakers of our common home, the earth, uh, of ourselves or those who are dependents on us, whatever, whomever. Secondly, it is a way of life that says what we do, that we possess and use what God has entrusted to us according to God's good pleasure. There's not a single thing, not you know, any part of you know, mineral life or plant life or animal life or human life, my own life included, I am not at liberty to use and abuse God's stuff as I please but rather according to God's good pleasure. If for no other reason, this is the basis why any right-thinking person, leave faith out of it altogether, <coughs> any right-thinking person would be opposed to physician-assisted suicide. It is not mine to dispose of according to my pleasure but rather I am a caretaker to care for this according to God's good pleasure. And God's good pleasure means that first of all, we use God's stuff to take care of ourselves and to take care of those who are dependent on us. To provide the things needed to live in human dignity productive work and fair wages, food and shelter, education and health care, protection from harm. And when those aren't available where I live, I have a right to emigrate to a place where they might be available. These are things, these things our church has taught explicitly since the late 1800s. Pope Leo XIII, no flaming liberal he. People, all human beings have a right in order to live in dignity. But not only to provide for ourselves, to use God's stuff to provide for ourselves and our dependents, 
but also to use some of it for the support of the church's mission and to help the poor in, in charity. To help people who cannot provide for themselves or who cannot protect themselves. Our responsibility, each one of us, mine, yours, our responsibility to provide for and to protect others is greatest when they are least able to do that for themselves. Think, for example, a child in the womb or somebody who is bedridden because of sickness or, or age. Our responsibility is greatest in their regard because their capacity is least in their own regard. Our responsibility would decrease as their ability to provide for themselves increases, but it never goes away entirely. Which is why caring about home and family, friends and strangers, neighborhood and community, state and nation, parish and archdiocese is always, they're always matters of concern for all of us. This is a strong message and example from our Holy Father, Pope Francis, who from almost the first days that he uh, began his ministry as Bishop of Rome, he has brought attention to the plight of the poor and has taken steps, concrete steps, right there in, the, in St. Peter's Square to provide for food and shelter for those who are homeless in the city of Rome but also to provide showers or, or and also to provide a, uh, a barber shop and beauty salon and most recently washers and dryers. Also provides transportation so a couple times he's taken uh, busloads of the homeless up to Turin to view and pray before the shroud because they wouldn't have any opportunity otherwise and, and why shouldn't they have the opportunity? It isn't that there are no people in need outside the city of Rome. But Pope Francis wants to give an example that things like this, sharing some of what God has entrusted to us for the sake of people who are in need, that this is something for all of us who bear the name Christian, whether we live in Rome or wherever, Cedar Rapids, Dubuque. This is a commitment that the Pope has because of his commitment to be a follower of Jesus who himself gave people a strong message and example the night before he died 
washing the feet of his disciples, telling them he has did this, you call me master, you call me Lord. And so I am, but I have given you an example to follow. Or he told the parable of the Good Samaritan to teach that we have a responsibility to provide for anyone in need. You know, the, the story was told. You know, a lawyer says, well, well who is my neighbor? You know, because uh, just got done saying that the heart of, of, of belief is to love your neighbor. And so the, the lawyer was looking, so what can I get by with? How, what's the, the bare minimum? Who can I exclude? Who must I love and show care for? And so he told Jesus, silly way of answering things, never yes or no or clear things. Here's a story, you figure it out. But the message of the story is that anyone who is in need is neighbor who has a claim on your love. Anyone, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter whether they can be judged deserving. It doesn't matter that they ask nicely. It doesn't matter that they know how much it costs us. It doesn't matter that they say thank you very much. Anyone who is in need is a neighbor who has a claim on us. And he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember that? Lazarus sitting outside the door of the rich man's house. Lazarus all poor and covered with sores. And the rich man, you know, dressed in splendid garments and ate hot dogs and tacos for, for lunch. And, <laughs> and when they died, you know, Lazarus was taken to heaven and rested in the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man was sent to hell. Gehenna, which, interesting, Gehenna is Hebrew for the Valley of Hinnom, which is one of the valleys outside of the, the walls of Jerusalem. It was the garbage dump. And so it was a place that stank. There was always a smoldering fire. There were vermin. It was a place for observant Jews. That is impure. That is unclean. And so it became associated with a place of damnation, a, a place where God is not. So that's where the rich man went. Not because he was rich, it's not a sin to be rich, but because there was Lazarus in need. And while the rich man did nothing to make Lazarus covered with swords, sores, he didn't do anything to ease his discomfort. Stewardship, an expression of the gift of self. The gift of self, the essence of holiness. Holiness for Christians is not the number of prayers we know and how many prayers we say and how many hours we spend in church, but holiness is measured by our imitation of Christ, the imitation of his mind and heart, the imitation of his humility and charity, the imitation of his pardon and of his service. Once again, 
regardless of who it is, whether they're deserving, whether they ask nicely, whether they know the cost of it, or if they're grateful. Think of, of Jesus on the cross. You think, well, if anybody deserved to be damned to hell, it's all those people who were down there below. The people who had, you know, arrested him and beaten him and crowned him with thorns and scourged his body and pounded nails into his hands and feet and then stood there down below going, ha, 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 if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. I know what I would have prayed to our Heavenly Father if, if it were I on that cross. But I'm called to imitate Jesus, who for that lot said, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. He even made excuses for them. That's what we imitate. That life, those teachings, summed up in laying down his life, pouring out his blood to provide for others what they cannot provide for themselves. Now we receive, this is our church teaching, based in sacred scripture, we receive the life of Christ in baptism. Confirmation only serves to strengthen. That's the, it's called confirmation because that's the Latin word, to strengthen, to make strong what was received in baptism. Celebrated and nourished when, it, when we gather for the Eucharist. And if we ever suffer the loss of that life because we're guilty of mortal sin, then we have the sacrament of reconciliation that restores it. But this life has to be made personal. You know, it, it's given to us objective. It's like Jesus on the cross. He died for everyone, everyone of every age. But to receive the benefit of it, I have to say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have to make it personal. I have to make the objective gift subjective. I own it. I unwrap the gift, I put on the clothes. I own it, I live it. Practiced in daily life, Expressed concretely in daring to care, to share with others. Now I want to focus in on one expression, one opportunity to live stewardship's gift of self. And it, the opportunity is presented to us at Holy Mass in the collection. What? <laughs> Passing the basket at a mass. Yeah, it's a means 
to provide money to pay the bills. The bills for ministry associated with continuing the mission of Jesus. But it's much more than that. Much more than that. I believe, and so therefore it is true, <laughs> this is the most important moment in the Mass, when the basket is passed. The most important moment. The Mass is called a sacrifice, right? The altar is, we have an altar because the Mass is called a sacrifice. It's an altar of sacrifice. Because at the Mass, mystically, don't ask me to explain the internet or how it happens at Mass, but the sacrifice that Christ offered on Calvary's cross is mystically represented whenever we celebrate Holy Mass. And at every single Holy Mass, you may not know this, but every participant is invited to join themselves to that sacrifice, to stand with Jesus. And, and somehow unite our gift of self with his gift of self. You know, the, the Mass has, a, has an owner's manual. It's called the General Instruction for the Roman Missal. And if you read through that, maybe it's sold in the Ark, I don't know. You read through it, um, it, it talks about how one of the duties of the priest is to help people to understand how to pray the Mass. And one of the things that the priest is supposed to do is to help people to learn how to give themselves, to offer themselves with Christ to the Father. This is, it's at the very heart, the very essence of our full, conscious, active participation. It doesn't matter what language you celebrate Mass in. It doesn't matter whether it's the extraordinary form or the ordinary form. This is crucial. In one of our Mass prayers, the third Eucharistic prayer, we identify, and the priest prays to our Heavenly Father, he's praying on our behalf. This is a living sacrifice that we are offering. We pray that God the Father will recognize our sacrifice in what's being offered and will recognize the sacrifice of Jesus in what we are offering. So close is the identity between the two. Our sacrifice, our sacrificial gift of self, is expressed in our gift of time, talent, or treasure given when the collection basket is passed. Please let me repeat that again. When the collection basket is passed and we put into that basket our gift, uh, a gift of treasure, or of time, or of talent, this 
is an expression of our gift of self in imitation of Jesus. And whatever is put into the basket then is collectively symbolized by that bread and wine. You know, you think, well, why put the bread and wine way back there and just have somebody carry it up? Or just keep it up here, you know? Save somebody the trouble of having to carry it up. No, no, it's very important. Because that bread and wine back there, they now, they now assume the responsibility to be collective symbols of all, let's say that all of us are at Mass this afternoon. And it's all of us are symbolized in that bread and wine, our gift of self, our sacrifice. Think about it, it's very fitting. You can't make bread except for with many grains of wheat that have to be what? They have to be sacrificed. They have to be ground. Or you can't make wine except for you take lots of grapes and then you smash them, squeeze the juice out of them. So these individual things have to give of themselves to become this one thing that becomes the sacrifice. That's why, I don't know, Father's not here, but if you're an usher, there's no need. When that bread and wine are brought up in the, in the presentation of gifts, there's no need to take up the money. Unless there's no other way to keep it safe until it's time to count it. There's no need to take up the money. Whatever's in that basket is represented already by that bread and wine. So leave the money back someplace else. You know, take it over to the hall, have somebody start counting it already. Or buying donuts or whatever. <laughs> It is the quality and not the quantity of the gift that we put in the collection basket that expresses our recognition that all as a gift is a gift, that expresses our gratitude for gifts, that expresses our, our, our need as stewards to share out of gratitude. That gift of self expressed in a sacrificial gift by what we, in what we put in the collection basket is the essential act of worship. That is the essential act of worship. I thought about this, I'm grateful to my folks. I'm not sure what my mom or dad had in mind. But I remember as a kid at Mass, you know, sit here, you know. <laughs> Either my mom or dad, they would dole out quarters or whatever to each of us six kids. So we would have something to put into the basket when it came by. Now I'm not sure, I don't recall ever receiving an explanation. But in reflecting upon this, I think, ha ha. They didn't want me to be excluded from the essential act of worship. They wanted me to know that now even you, idiot child, that's what my mother calls me, even you, you have to give a gift of self. 
the essential act of worship, which is why I call it the most crucial point in the Mass, the most important part in the Mass. Because the fruitfulness, the spiritual fruitfulness of the Mass for every person depends so radically on what is done when the basket is passed. If we don't make a gift, then we're not represented, symbolized in that bread and wine that's brought to the priest at the altar. There's no little grain of wheat or grape that was smashed in order to, to make this bread or this wine that is presented as a symbolic expression of the individual gifts of self of this whole assembly. And in such a case, that bread and wine over which the, prayer, the, the priest you know, invokes the Holy Spirit and repeats the words of Jesus, and so the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, the, the, the gift of self of Christ is mystically represented. There's nothing of me in that. And as a result, we become passive onlookers, silent bystanders during the Eucharistic prayer, and at the end of which we sound an empty amen. And when it comes time for Holy Communion, while we might still go forward to receive, we might not enjoy the full spiritual benefit from the Eucharist. There was no gift of self that went into producing this bread that has been transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the crucified and, and risen Lord. No gift of self. In fact, the connection between the gift given at the collection and the gift received in Holy Communion is so close that at one time in the history of our church, if you did not offer a gift at collection time, then you were not supposed to come forward to receive a gift at communion time. Likewise, let's say that you weren't a baptized person, you were in preparation, and so you could not come forward to receive communion, you were not allowed to give a gift. Yeah, most pastors today would go, well, enough of that. You know? <laughs> but that's because there was such a, a close connection between the, ex in, in fact, one of the most ancient ways of referring to Holy Mass, it was referred to as the Holy Exchange of Gifts. It's the exchange of gifts. God gives to us, we give to God, God gives back to us, and then out we go. Transformed by the reception of Holy Communion to make a gift to our neighbors in need, to the world, to lift it up into the kingdom of God. But without the full transforming effect of ho receiving Holy Communion, 
we would most likely be, have less potential to be agents of transformation in the world. Now please believe me, I am not saying this as a means to encourage an increase of revenue in the Sunday collection. In fact, I regularly tell people that when the basket is passed, and that's why I don't, if I were a pastor and they use those, you know, the long stick kind of thing, no, 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 cut off the sticks. It, pass it so that everybody has to hold it and pass it on. That if you don't have a gift to give, you got no jingle in your pocket, put your hand in the basket anyway. Not to take anything out. <laughs> put your hand in the basket anyway. As a symbol, as if to say, well, I don't have silver or gold to give. But I give a gift of time, or I give a volunteer for whatever might be needed, or I'll give a gift of talent. I know how to make a mean meatloaf, and so I'm going to make a couple meatloafs, you know, for the homebound. I, I don't know. You get the idea. Sometimes, too, we're at a mass where there is no collection taken up, daily masses. Although I was at a daily uh, parish once where even at daily mass, there was not a mass in which this pastor did not take up a collection. For the benefit of those who were worshiping in the assembly, not for the parish. No, he was selfless in that regard. It was, it was for his parishioners. But I tell, you know, we're oftentimes, if you go to daily mass, for example, it's rare that there would be a collection taken. But even then, you know, to, to pause and intentionally, consciously make a gift. You know, like when, when the bread and wine are placed on the altar, make a gift. I want to be represented there. I want to be one of those grains of wheat that was smashed to make bread. I want to be one of those grapes that was smashed to make the wine. I want to be represented there. And so <coughs> uh, I will, I'll call my mother today. Or I'll uh, stop and visit a, a friend who is, uh, you know, bedridden because of illness. Make a gift. Make a gift. So the bread and wine that's placed on the altar represents us. It's that important for our own spiritual benefit. Ultimately, that we might be instruments of the Holy Spirit to, to transform the world. conclude with this story. Maybe some of you have heard it before. Story told of, of a woman who died and was judged worthy of heaven. But before she went into heaven, she asked St. Peter for a favor. I'd like to see hell before going into heaven. I'd, I'd like to see hell just to 
See what I, whew, huh. dodge that bullet, you know. So St. Peter agreed and escorted her to the gates of hell. And peeking in, you know, there was this big, huge banquet hall with a huge table laid with you know, linen and real china and silverware and countless plates of delicious food. Just as she was thinking, you know, this doesn't look too bad. If this is hell, you know, what will heaven be like? Just as she was thinking that, the damned entered the banquet hall and sat down at the table to eat. But she noticed that nobody was enjoying the meal because the only utensils that they were given were these three foot long forks, which, you know, were unwieldy. And so they were bashing people in the head and they, they, they couldn't manage to get the food from the fork into their mouths. And so there was no joy and no enjoyment and plenty of cursing. Having seen enough, she was escorted back to heaven and was surprised to find an identical banquet hall with the same table, the same china, the same dishes of food, and the same three-foot-long forks. The difference was that in heaven, everyone would take their fork, spear their food, and serve the person on the opposite side of the table. The blessed in heaven didn't behave in a selfless way because of a change that took place in them after passing through the pearly gates. Rather, they entered heaven because of the selfless way they lived during their life on earth. Being mindful of others, attentive to their needs, sharing with them, serving them as they were able. In short, they were there because they practiced stewardship as a way of life. In imitation of Jesus' own gift of self, gift of self, one of the fruits produced by the adoration of Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist. May it be so. Amen.